Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I'm Isaiah Kazavinsky. I'm an athlete and husband and father. I had a pretty tumultuous childhood. Grew up in poverty. Was homeless for large chunks of my childhood as well. And I remember that left an effect on me. Yeah, I remember sitting back, being a little kid, saying, I hate this. I don't want to live like this. I want to have a family someday. Welcome to the Athlete Ann Podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review Athlete Ann on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you listen to your podcast. Follow Athlete Ann at Athlete Ann underscore on all social media and go to athleteann.com to tap in and get involved. I'm Brandon Copeland, a.k.a. Professor Cope, and we have a great interview for you today. So let's start the show. I have the pleasure and the opportunity to sit down with Isaiah Kazavinsky. You know, we won't talk about his background. We, well, we will talk about his background, but we won't talk about the college he went to because it's such a backup school <laughs> that I don't even want to waste your time even mentioning their name. But before we get into that, before we get into the story, I want to first check in on on my brother. How are you doing, man? How are you feeling? How's everything going? I'm doing great. And I uh, appreciate you having me on. It's been uh, been great to catch up today. I need a little more right now as well. Uh, but yeah, everything's been going great. Enjoying amazing Las Vegas right now. Mm, there we go. There we go. Are you a gambler at all? Casino guy? Not, not really? A little bit? A little bit? So my wife's uncle had a craps table and he lives here in Las Vegas. So oh, growing wow. up, we were high school sweethearts. So we used to come out here every Easter. So I learned how to play craps early on in high school and yeah obviously never played until until i was so yes i love to dabble in craps there we go learn the official rules for blackjack but the dice game is where i stay there we go there we go we're, we're going to talk about that a little bit because obviously as an investor there's a huge difference between investing and gambling right mm-hmm. um so it'd be curious to kind of dive into your mindset there but again we'll come back to to that later i want to first have you introduce yourself um because I know a bit about you, and I'm sure there's so many different things and facets about you that I don't know, but I want you to introduce yourself to the athlete and audience, starting from the beginning, man, starting from your background. Who are you, man? Well, I grew up in upstate New York, youngest of five kids, and had a pretty tumultuous childhood, grew up in poverty, was homeless for large chunks of my childhood as well, just kept getting kicked out. Uh, every place we rented, not being able to make payments, uh, not making payments on you know water and gas and i remember that left an effect on me just super early on in my life never forgot that you know had that burden of poverty was yeah i remember sitting back being a little kid saying i i, I hate this i don't want to live like this i want to have a family someday and my mom who's this amazing woman she's passed away now but unbelievably amazing woman she had failed in high school three grades graduated when she was over 20 years old 
didn't have much of an education. But what she did for us is she put books in our hands to read. We didn't have a TV, put books in our hands to read. Uh, we had mandatory, you know, six hour reading days every Sunday. And then she played Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech for us once a week on a record player. And I remember, A, that feeling, that burden of poverty, but also her uh, enlightening us in such a major way. And when we were little kids to understand that there's a lot of people in the world hurting and to not feel sorry for ourselves and to understand that this idea and impress upon us this idea of empathy, you know, putting yourself in someone else's shoes is, is super, super important. That was foundational for me, those, those kind of experiences. My mom was also an unbelievably positive person. Mm. She was an unbelievably giving person as well. And again, made a huge, had a huge effect on me early as we kind of, you know, continue to like fast forward uh, through that. I had an epiphany when I was in high school. I was 14. I remember it, it literally was a massive turning point in my life. It was one day that I decided I was going to control my own destiny and woke up uh, the next morning. I was tossing and turning and I had this epiphany at like two in the morning. You know, being honest with myself as well. Was I trying hard enough? Was I doing enough to control my destiny? Other than saying, hey, I wish I you know, could put things in place. I wish I could achieve. I wish I could do something instead of saying, listen, we live in a country where you can control your destiny in a lot of different ways. Not all the time, not in everything. But you control it a lot more than other places in the world for sure. And I, I made a sign. I woke up that morning, I made a sign, said, let no one outwork you today, but mm. have fun in that process. So enjoying that journey. I know you and I have talked about that before as well. So that was a turning point in my life. And I, I didn't look back. I brought that same mentality into sports and academics. You know, I was a football player, a wrestler, track athlete, would show up, you know, go to a lift at 5 a.m., show up at the teacher's doorstep at 6.30, waiting for them. And I'd be the kid in class raising my hand 25 times. I did not care. Mm. Uh, I wouldn't stop people groaning. Um, students is you know, unbelievably upset. Be in the same class, but I didn't care. I was going to go, you know, be, be my own drum. And then, you know, I ended up you know, going to Harvard uh, as an undergrad, probably the last place in the world. Just Ooh. ever thought it. What school, <laughs> what school was that? Loves Harvard. the shade at Harvard. Oh, man. <laughs> Uh, but just was it was an amazing experience. You know, as, as someone that just thought I was going to be a misfit and not fit in at all, and I had preconceived notions of what I thought a Harvard person was, which was like a legacy or super wealthy or super nerd or you know whatever it may be. But the fact is. Yeah, you know, and I know you pens the same way. There's people from all walks of life, right? Yes. And that was one of the beauties of that. And the ability through there, it was, you know, in the end, a diploma is a piece of paper. But, you know, what it really helped me to do was to question everything, question that, things that stood for, for you know, hundreds of years for a long time, be able to question that and feed a level of curiosity. That was kind of, I never even allowed myself to kind of feed it. It just woke it up inside of me and, and allowed me to continue on that path. So just amazing journey. And you know how it is too, which is I always, I never let anyone, I knew when I was nine years old, I wanted a shot to play in the NFL. And as you know, it's like the Ivy League is not a feeder, right? <laughs> so it's like in my head, I knew where I wanted to go. And I was working extremely hard, you know, in that journey as well. Never gave up that dream. Never let anyone tell me that I wasn't going to do it. I probably was overworking in some aspects, <laughs> yeah. even kind of along that journey, but my backup plan was to be a doctor. I was a pre-med undergrad, held that down, um, held down four jobs. My dad made $7,000 a year as a janitor my senior year in high school. 
and I knew no money was coming out from home. So literally juggling four jobs and, you know, refusing to be weeded out on that, on that pre-med, mm-hmm. <laughs> pre-med aspect, right. I didn't, I didn't get weeded out, I finished it. And then, uh, you know, working extremely hard to get that shot, right? I didn't care where it was, I was going to get my shot. And, you know, I had a, had a couple of, you know, kind of bumps along the way and not being invited to the combine was one of them. Mm-hmm. And still sneaking my way into the draft was... Without without the combine invite was, was one of the, one of the, the kind of deals as well. So I'll kind of pause there and you know that transition into the NFL and then this realization for me of you know not having and we've talked about it before but not having any understanding around finance or economics. I didn't have any background like that. If you read the book Rich Dad Poor Dad, right? It's it's that same idea. I mean, I didn't. My wife makes fun of me. I didn't even know if you get a credit card, you had to pay it back. Within a month. I'm like, oh, no, you just let it slide. You're like, you do whatever. And she's like, no, you have to pay that back. back. Right. <laughs> so these things for me, you know, really kind of dove in head first and, you know, put the building blocks in place to learn not only financial literacy, but uh, how do I control my destiny in that way too, right? Which, you know, the NFL does a great job now too of like scaring people straight, straight <laughs> on like, take care of your money, right? Yeah. And as Marshawn says, take care of your chickens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> take care of your chicken. Check your chicken. So one, I, I want to highlight one of the issues about hosting podcasts with great guests like yourself, especially when I have ADD, is like there's so many questions that I want to ask you right now about yeah, yeah. your upbringing and, and things like that. And I know I'm going to forget one. So I just want to highlight this. Before we talk more about yourself, I want to talk about your parents because you, you highlighted your mother and your father. And I can only imagine how remarkable they both are. We talk about pressure as athletes, mm-hmm. talk about pressure as an entrepreneur, talk about pressure raising $150 million mm-hmm. and people expecting a lot from you, right? As a young person watching your mom and dad go through homelessness and mm-hmm. trying to raise five young people, can you describe what type of pressure you saw them overcome mm-hmm. to help you get to this seat today? I think it's an awesome question. I think it frames a lot of different things for me and how I look at, you know, we look at things sometimes and say, hey, that's just too difficult to do. And a lot of that's tied to pressure and the pressure you put on yourself. But I've seen a lot of bad and I saw the shame, and that's where I was kind of going on this point, the shame my parents had, I think, early uh, that they didn't want to be like that, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, both my mom spent, you know, entire, you know, first 13 years of her life in an orphanage, right? Just not tons of direction in her life. And that's not to make an excuse, but it's around this shame. They didn't want to end up in that spot. Like they didn't want to be chased house from house, you know, moving over and over again, uh, not being able to make rent. Uh, there was a shame in that, right? And I think for me, you know, seeing it through the, through those eyes, I think there was an outlet for me to be able to control that. With, like there's actually guidelines. If you work extremely hard, again, never being perfect, but if you work extremely hard, the odds of that happening are not there. Not to say that they weren't hard workers. They did not have the direction early, but, you know, it clicked. And, you know, I'm going to be honest. I had amazing teachers, mentors, coaches that instilled the discipline as well to help kind of see this. And, again, I think one of the things also early in my life, my mom putting a, a book in, in my hand, I have no choice. I got to have to read a lot. Mm. So I gravitated towards biographies and understanding people's stories, businessmen, athletes, whatever it may be. And you start to see this common theme with like people that are really, really successful. It's like this blueprint of like they were willing to lay it all on the line. If they love something, they're passionate about something, they were willing to really, really push everything else uh, kind of away around that. So all that's to say is, you know, kind of saw that in my parents, that shame and that knew, knowing where I wanted to go. And putting the work in, 
pressure kind of goes out of the equation, right? Mm-hmm. It's and no one's going to put more pressure on me than me. Yeah. And knowing how high that bar is, and I would say that's probably well I'll always be chasing. And I think a lot of that's tied to you know always being that nine year old kid saying I, I don't want to live like this and. Mm-hmm. Really never getting away from it. I mean, even now, I mean, it, it, it's like, it's just constantly in my head. I'm always making plans. And my wife will, will come <laughs> and she's like, you don't have to do that. Like, yeah. you don't have to think like that. I think it's like a survival kind of piece around that. So that pressure, and I say, I always say this too, and I know you probably have the, the same perspective, the real pressure in the NFL, which is, that's not created, that's that's around you. Mm. Especially, like, I was a fringe, I wasn't like a superstar. I was like surviving week by week, right? Yeah. And I had, some coaches have just an amazing knack to make people feel like fear for their job every <laughs> single week. And I yeah. had, like, I had coaches like that. And that in and of itself becomes, a conditioning for other things right as a part of your journey it's what what you take away and you're not affected by those like those ups and those downs and everything else which is like you do your job let the chips fall where they may you put the hard work in and you you look back and say i've done everything i can possibly do pressure uh, in the end is really what you make of it but I, i always i never felt like that pressure other than i don't want to live like you know like how i grew up yeah no, nah, that, that's amazing. I appreciate you taking us there and, and through that journey. I was recently listening to something, a podcast, and Shaq was a guest, the Pivot Podcast, and Shaq was a guest. And uh, he was talking about how he felt like, I think in a game, he crumbled under pressure, and his dad was a, a sergeant in the military, and he's from Newark, New Jersey, mm-hmm. gets him in the car, and he was real strict with him. And he pulls him up. They're driving around Newark, New Jersey, and he see a homeless family. He was like, you think you have pressure? Like, that's pressure. pressure yeah. You go take care of them. Mm-hmm. And he literally got up and got that person in an apartment, got him clothes and all that stuff. That's and amazing. But he said at that moment, he realized this sport, this athlete thing, there's no pressure involved, mm-hmm. right? And I think that there's a certain maturation for all of us as athletes. And, and for me, it was at a certain time after being cut multiple times and sitting out for a year. At a certain point, it was like, well, the worst has happened to me at this point, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. It is no more pressure, yeah. you know? So it's amazing to see how that your upbringing ultimately has liberated you to a certain extent Mm. to allow you to just be free of mind, free of soul and go and give your all to everything that you do. And so now you go to the NFL, Mm. right out of Harvard, which again, for those who don't know, I went to Penn. He went to Harvard. Um, (laughs) During my time at Penn, Harvard was our rival. Princeton is supposed to be our rival, but Harvard's our rival because that's the team that we always ended up playing for the championship. And so again, you know, I'm gonna give them some jabs there, but (laughs) obviously have have a certain appreciation for for you and your journey right to get to the nfl now you're in the nfl and you played eight years in the nfl Mm -hmm. so at a certain point you you're established and although you feel week to week and i I get that and i completely understand that tuesday at four eastern for those who don't know is when you're paid for the week you only know that if you're a week-to-week player like (laughs) myself and you've been cut at 3 56 p.m on a tuesday right but at a certain point you start to look outside and beyond the field into different ventures, different ants, right? Mm -hmm. This is athlete ants. So talk to me about that evolution. When did you start looking beyond the football field and what did that growth process look like? It was almost immediate, right? I I showed up, you know, was drafted fourth round by the Seahawks, show up to minicamp. Shortly thereafter, you know, signed a, signed a contract. And I just, it just didn't dawn on me that I was going to about to, yeah, I got handed a $275,000 signing bonus, like mm-hmm. blew my mind. And 
I had this, you know, complete realization as I was talking about before, like I knew nothing. I, I literally, you know, I knew science, I knew physics, I knew math, I knew chemistry. I, I did not know, um, or have any kind of any understanding. So and sorry to interject, even at Harvard, you didn't know anything about money. Then, I mean, I was, I was like a pure science guy. Like I, I wanted to be a doctor. Right. And yeah. I had kind of like fully, fully you know, embraced that. And again, it's not like I grew up with financial literacy like being talked about over the dinner table or or you know stocks and bought like nothing zero mm. but at that like i remember like seeing it looking at the check and i was like i just don't i don't know anything but i also realized like i was about to have like a lot of free time uh for the first mm. time in my life and i was like well i could learn this is like learning anything is like a willing to, willingness to put the work in. i was like all right i can do it and that's what i i, I you know went ahead and i was like i, I want to learn you know public markets private markets talk to people read every book i could possibly read for the next three years and that's what i did from 2000 mm-hmm. to 2003 did that and became you know kind of literate in this you know kind of home base of, of knowledge and learned a lot along the way and like you know started understanding that i also liked Looking at deals early, you know, private companies, uh, which is essentially angel investing, right? You know, kind of early on being able to do that and having a variety of, you know, classmates going to start, you know, businesses, et cetera. Uh, so started angel investing in 2003 and would embed in the off season to those companies that I invest into just learning like a fly on the wall, right? Mm. Uh, like kind of a lone wolf, you know, kind of learn, you know, how to take a concept and commercialize it if you're an entrepreneur, right? And how an entrepreneur like builds a team, executes against the strategy and uh, you know, how they interact with investors. is like amazing, amazing things uh, that you can start to learn. So continue to do that. Did that every single off season. And by that time I retired, I, I remember just like, all right, I do not want to go to medical school. I want to go to business school, get a formal base of knowledge. I, I realized like I, I needed like something I need to accelerate, but I eventually said all right i knew also knew i wanted to start a venture capital fund did not know how to do it and needed kind of earning the right to point of view so during your career you were still kind of keeping medical school in your potential future yeah yeah that was i and and i had like i think it's probably the idea of like damn it i put so much like work work in in that process and uh why would i just throw it away and and in that journey i realized that I had the reason, like, what motivated me around being a doctor is, like, I'd, I had a love for, you know, kind of human physiology and the idea around human performance, like a broader idea, which mm-hmm. I, I looked at even for myself, which is, like, how do I take guesswork out of feeling my best? All of those things and the things, some of the, a lot of the things I did love, you actually can touch through investing, right? And mm-hmm. through, you know, working with entrepreneurs as well. So being able to kind of, those things I still love, I, you know, it's not like I was just, you know, kind of, there was poof up, up, in, uh, up in the air. But I can still kind of work in different capacities around that as well. So, yeah, kept that as, like, optionality. Again, always planning for optionality, what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and again, like, never wanting to be just caught without a plan. And I think that was, like, it just goes the way I grew up as well, right? Like, always having contingency plans for everything. Yeah, listen, some people say plan B distracts from plan A. But I'm like, look, these are multiple plan A's. Like, I'm going to get it by any means. So, talk to me about Will Ventures, man. And where, where does where does that name come from? We get this question. There's like, where is one of you guys named Will? It's Isaiah and Brian. We're like, no, uh, it's not. It speaks to the power of human will. And it's very much a personal kind of story for both Brian and myself. Brian grew up in a very similar you know, household as well. But really, it's a nod to the entrepreneurs that we back, right? Mm-hmm. In the face of immense odds, 
finding a way. And that journey is not easy. It's not for the faint of heart. And we wanted something that honored that journey for entrepreneurs, just understanding how difficult it is. So yeah, that's, that's the core of the name. And we're early stage. If you look at asset classes to invest, right, all the way from early stage venture capital to you know private equity and all the way to public markets, it's the perceived riskiest asset class. Mm-hmm. And we really wanted to take a methodical, highly rigorous, quantified approach to look at markets and swing big, but de-risk in a major way. And really wanted to take a highly, highly disciplined mentality, not dissimilar than, yeah, as we were kind of preparing as you kind of yourself as well, that that preparation, the discipline it takes to be an elite athlete as well. And what we want to do is kind of create that over and over again and develop a unique thesis as well. Any business is about how can you compete? How can we be hyper-competitive over and over? Venture capital is an unbelievably competitive market. And how are we going to look different? How are we going to add different value? How are we going to identify early uh, as well? So all of these kind of processes put in place. There's obviously a lot that goes into it, but we'll always come back to our name and understanding entrepreneurs and understanding what makes them tick is core to every single thing that we do. And we have to answer ourselves and the entrepreneurs up front. Can we add a lot of value? Are we going to be, you know, kind of an amazing partner? We consider ourselves like also old school venture capital. Uh, the idea of kind of rolling up your sleeves and getting to work with the entrepreneurs, super, super important for us. Not, hey, we're not going to throw money over the wall and we'll see you in two years <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, around that. So in, yeah. in the venture community's gotten away from that, right? And they, they never should have in that way. So anyway, that's that's kind of a, a brief overview of World Ventures where seed stage focus fun, really unique thesis around how does sports open up massive adjacencies across consumer mm-hmm. health and media. And again, it's how we identify early to really touch large generalist markets. It's a narrow wedge that can add complementary value to really, if you think about the big blue chip funds, mm-hmm. um, the generalist funds that are out there, we can be complementary to them. And we can also be competitive early on with anyone else on the other side of the table. So we really, really kind of architected our approach to be hyper-competitive and huge value add uh, and align with the entrepreneurs. Love it. Will Ventures has already raised a $50 million fund and you're actively raising an $150 million fund right now, right? Correct. First one was 55, but yeah. 55, yeah, yeah. right? Now, you, you mentioned earlier how your father made $7,000 your senior year of high school. Put into perspective for us like what it feels like thinking about those numbers in comparison to that young man you were back then, right? Like you're talking in a totally different stratosphere at this point and talk to me about what that feels like man to think about those numbers and to really be managing that type of capital so the first thing i always come down to like you know that capital i take it as a fiduciary right Uh, as someone that raises that a grave and deep responsibility on shepherding and really optimizing how do we drive top tier returns but do it the right way right do it the right way always kind of you know saying that so being that shepherd along with brian for that capital Unbelievably important job. I love it, right? And I'm highly passionate about it. Love working with entrepreneurs, right? That is the core of this business. How, how you know? How do you work with entrepreneurs? How do you create, help create value? Uh, not just talk about it, but like just go, 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 helping to to do that. So that's the the first piece. And driven by passion, kind of what comes along with it, and putting things in perspective. And I I came to grips with this really. During my time in the NFL, right, that first signing bonus to everything beyond, you know, getting checks that were, you know, multiples of what my, you know, in a week, what my mm-hmm. my dad would make in a year. Understanding, yeah, you know, first almost feeling bad about mm-hmm. it, but then, you know, kind of always coming back to, 
how hard it was to get to that point, right? And the journey, you know, not being over, but getting an amazing amount of help along the way, mm-hmm. uh, always uh, bringing that back down. But I still feel, you know, kind of where at now, I wouldn't say motivated by money, but I think it's an important driver. If you look at where I want to go and, and continue to, to have more and more flexibility in, in my life, in my, in my family's life, you know, to mm-hmm. really, really put cornerstones down, super important to me. And that's just driven me. But in the end, I think what drives me every single day, and you didn't necessarily ask this question, but I'll kind of offer it up, but the idea of what's next, like there's something big <laughs> out there and I want to go do it and I want to continue to be able to do it. And, you know, really building the amazing, the last job I'll ever have here at Will Ventures along with Brian. You know, how do we build that next great venture capital fund? How do we build the next big blue chip fund in the world? And knowing that we can do it, it's just, you know, willingness uh, to to put the work in to be able to do it. Mm. Final question for you. And to give a little context, right? Athlete, NFL player, you go up to people, you talk to them, most of the time they assume, oh, it's another dumb jock. Uh, (laughs) You know, then you drop... Harvard or Penn, and oh, oh, okay, man, right? But not only have you built the resume to back yourself up, because it's not about the schools and all of that stuff, mm-hmm. but more importantly for those who are listening at home, when you're raising capital for a fund, you're raising money from people who believe in you. Yeah. And they believe in you as a person, you mentally, and ultimately are aligned with you spiritually. Can you give us a, a tip or two on getting people to ultimately believe in you, see your vision, so much so, not even just to raise capital, but maybe for that person out there that's trying to pitch their business and trying Mm. to get people to, they don't even have to invest, but I just need you to see the vision, right? What are some of the things that you've taken along your journey of trying to get people to believe in you and Will Ventures that you can share with the athlete and community? I love this question, and it's what Brian and I, Brian and I have been working together, first as entrepreneurs, 11 years now we've been working together. Mm. And along that journey, you know, we, we've had this vision of creating Will Ventures for a long time, right? As we went through, we named it seven years ago, right? And, you know, had to go out and what we said, even to ourselves, we have to earn the right to a point of view. That's one of the things, you're creating a business, have you earned the right to a point of view in the space that you really want to, to be? And we also kind of put it in other terms, which is how do we put ourselves in position to finish the entrepreneur sentences? We know the market so well we get into that we can finish those sentences, right? Mm-hmm. And you can, you can you know, have this authentic understanding around that as well. A lot of that just takes a massive amount of work, right? And being kind of smart. For us, as you raise capital, especially we went from about one-third institutional capital. So like you talk about university endowments, foundations, you know, very kind of rigorous and uh, yeah, yeah, you know, kind of, you know, a lot of expertise are kind of around that. You talk about institutional capital and kind of around that base as well. They want to see that we have a, a unique approach to the market the ability to win space and deals, the will, ability to identify and then win. Yeah, right. You have to identify, like you could, we could all talk about, hey, that company is a great company. You'll be like, oh yeah, great. Go get behind the, you know, other 10 venture capital funds that are trying to offer a term sheet around that. How are you going to win, right? And be able to kind of do that as well. So there's this conviction and there's a trust you kind of really have to build up by showing, A, you've run, earned the right to a point of view and you have a track record uh, that you can go back on. And a lot of that track record, which I know you fully appreciate as well, it's not only here's what, you know, kind of my investments were, you know, prior to this, but it's also what type of life have you led, right? And we actually do the same thing with our entrepreneurs as well, which is like outside of that business, have you always tried to 
achieve, excel in every single step of the way, right? Yeah. Uh, going back to high school, to college, everything else, everything you've done, have you always pushed the envelope? We love that, right? That's a mindset and it's fixed, you know, it's something that you can see if someone has lived a life around that, always pushed the envelope, never satisfied, always uh, looking to be, what's that next barrier they can kind of break through as well? I think that's something that, that we look for as well. I, I know this is kind of, a long-winded answer around that, but I think this it's this ability. And we got a great piece of advice, too, from Rick Frisbee. He's one of the you know, founders of Battery Ventures, big blue chip fund. He's like, you guys need to answer that question. Why, why does the world need another venture capital fund, right? Like, what makes you guys special? And he was right. Like, if we would have gone out, we would have said, hey, like, yeah, a couple of, like, you know, smart Harvard kids trying to raise some capital. We got some cool ideas. Just, like, back us. It wouldn't have worked, right? And, mm. you know, having a, a stepwise function for us to taking a research back thesis-driven approach starting Sports Innovation Lab as a way to really, really map the market. You know, over 4,000 companies mapping the market, mapping pain points for some of the largest companies in the world. Again, de-risking a strategy of saying, hey, this is valued tech, right? Now it becomes around execution. How do you identify this entrepreneur early into the spaces that, that we did? So it's mapping those opportunity areas, the true pain points, and be able to kind of go, go beyond. So all of that allowed us to earn the right to point of view to then say, hey, Here's the markets we feel extremely strong about. And these are the deals we put together as well. And great piece of advice along the way that we got early on in fund one, which is like, we always say it wasn't the hardest thing we've ever done, but it was damn near close, was raising fund one. Because in the end, um, we have a non-traditional background, right? And we had kind of, we had to win over on saying, hey, trust us, we are going to execute against that. And got a great piece of advice to get deals done early that we could warehouse, which is, you know, officially not be part of the uh, fund until we raised the fund. So you had to like, it was the chicken and the egg. We had to get these deals done, have a immense amount of discipline, have, have rigor around the investment memo. And oh, and by the way, win space in the deal too. And like, you know, be able to do that. And, you know, for us, that was really, really important to be able to get that, to show this is how we, you know, we like to invest. These are the markets we you do. And by the way, you know, it's our job to be able to answer every single question and prepare for every single question that an investor is going to ask us every single day and have perspective on markets, right? So massive amount of work to put in. And that's for anyone, like, is always kind of bottom line. Have you lived it, breathed it, drank it, slept it? Like, that's how we want to back people like that. And we assume, we've always assumed, if we were an investor on the other side, investing into a fund, they're going to want to see the same thing as well. So, And I think one of the last things, too, if you talk about purely raising money, some people kind of always bring it to, like, X's and O's, which is, like, important, right? Like, there's identification out there's fancy ways to quantify and look at funds where we always start and brian and i always start is we give people an understanding about our background our journey because that ties into what we do at will ventures and it ties into what, what's going to resonate with the entrepreneurs as well so a lot of people don't give a personal story around that it's very very personal for us and it will always be like that as well we made a decision to interweave that origin story and our own backgrounds where we came from which is like super important Man, I, I appreciate you because I think it's so important that everything that you're talking about comes back to preparation, right? Earning a right to a point of view. I love that phrase, right? That quote, preparation. Are you willing to roll your sleeves up? Are you able to answer the questions, mm-hmm. right? Ultimately, the way to get people to trust you is for them to know that, hey, not necessarily that you're smarter than them, but they can trust that you are going to steward this gift and this okay. vision with hard work. Mm-hmm. It might not always go perfectly, but preparation is hard work. It's rolling up the sleeves and getting it done. So with that being said, man, Isaiah, I truly, truly appreciate you taking the time to be here and share your experience and your journey and just a glimpse 
of your experience and your journey here on Athlete In. I hope you all make sure you share, subscribe, share this with a friend, a cousin, an auntie, your ex-girlfriend, your ex-boyfriend, <laughs> and that person that you don't like. And we'll see you next time on Athlete In. Thanks, Coach. Boom. I'm Brandon Copeland, and you have now just listened to another episode of Athlete In. To get the new episodes first, make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening.